Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Okay, so we're going to dive in a little bit again, which we're looking at, and, and Angie, I'm glad the Holy Spirit told on you, because I think it was a good segue with the others as well into what we're going to be talking about. As we're investing into a few, one of the things that we talked about last week is that we can only reproduce what we are. And so the big question last week was, am I worth reproducing? Now, am I living a life? Am I making the choices? Am I leaning into God in such a way that that's worth reproducing into others? And as we're looking at nearing in and taking in, uh, going deeper and ha- having a, a smaller circle that you're working with and taking and caring enough to confront and the, the different things that your study brought you through this week, uh, there's one core element that I don't know if we fully understand, but that we experience in different levels that may be more accessible to us than what we have that is worth reproducing into others as we experience it more, and that's the glory of God. And when I say the glory of God, I think a lot of times, um, like if we talk about just even with worship, like the glory of God, be like, oh yeah, the glory of God, what is that? Like how do you define the glory of God? And what I think we're going to be able to do today is define it the best that we can. I think we're going to expand the definition that most of us have of the glory of God um, in a way that's an invitation to lean into God more, to experience it more, because it really isn't something that you can define as much as you experience. Does that make sense? So it's going to be kind of a, a big, uh, big thing we're trying to tackle, but I think with the Holy Spirit, I think we're going to be able to... to, to to grow within it ourselves. So we start where we usually start. We're going to define a word. All of us define words differently, as I've talked about them before. So we want to have a common definition. So with Lisa's help, and I should say Ryan's help, because you guys probably know somewhere within there that all the words got wacky up on the screen. Uh, the mouse died, uh, which is usually a good thing, but not a computer mouse. So <laughs> we were trying to get that done, and Ryan came back, and he saved the day. And that smile on your face is a word enough. <laughs> you can't stand me. But he did. He came back and saved the day. So with Ryan's help and his mom's Lisa's help, uh, this is some general definition of the word glory that we'll find from the definition. So uh, glory is something's high, something that's renowned, um, of great honor, a great magnificence, uh, great beauty, great pleasure. Uh, these are things that are... Again, from a general dictionary standpoint, part of who God is. And I think that's what we usually bring to the table when we're talking about God's glory. Uh, For me, I think the closest that I experience outside of those times with the Spirit uh, is the night sky. For me, I'm I'm a big nighttime guy looking up at the stars. Um, The Orion, I think, is the only uh, star, what do you call those things? Star cluster things. Bink! There it is. Constellation that I can really recognize. Thank you, Scott. Outside of like the Big Dipper, Little Dipper, but even though Ryan's part of one of those. But anyways, uh, but I love looking at the sky. And when you, when you get out there, especially in, in our backyard, we're kind of living in a place where there's not a lot of competing light. So we're on a good night. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's just vast. And, and again, I keep going back to, it seems like it's been a repeating thought the last few months, 
but with God and Job, who calls the stars out each night by name. And just when, when you're taking in just the beauty uh, and the, the renown and the highness and the honor and the magnificence, the great beauty, the great pleasure of the sky, it's the glory of the sky that's reflecting the glory of its creator, the glory of the God that created him. It's just a reflection of him in also many different ways. I know like with Amy, when she goes out and she, she's hiking and they're going out into creation and the connection that's felt there, it's creation reflecting the glory of our God. Um, and I think that's usually about where we take things when it comes comes to glory. But what we're going to talk about today, and if you want to, you can get your Bibles out. We're going to go back to John 17, the, the, the prayer that Jesus is praying uh, before his arrest, and look more so at what he has to say about glory. And I hope by the things that he mentions, we can get a little bit of a better reflection ourselves. Uh, glory is a well-covered area within the scripture. At least it comes up a lot because it's so much about the beauty and the magnificent of who our God is. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it's over 300 times the word glory comes up in the scripture. The Matthew, I believe, has it twice. Mark has it twice. Luke has it three times. But John has it over 20 times. And almost half of those are in Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's a very central thing. We have a central voice, but we have a very central theme of this prayer that he's praying before he leaves this earth as he's praying over his disciples and he's praying over us. So in John 17, I just kind of want to go through those and pull out some of the things that I think are telling you about how Jesus sees glory and the purpose of glory. And we'll start on verse 22. We're going to jump back and forth a little bit in this one, but 22 is our key verse, so I'll start there. And Jesus, when he's praying... He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. So again, we'll look at the different things he said he's done for the disciples for us to be able to do as we disciple others. And so the glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So with Lisa's help, we'll go through these. Um, the first thing we notice in this verse, and this verse has two, but the first one is this, is he's given us the glory. That, that, that glory comes from God. Um, it, it's not something we can manufacture. It's not that I can choose to do more of, whatever the case may be. But I'm leaning into God so that I can get more of, the, of his glory in my life. So if Jesus is saying that the glory that he has has been given to us by the Father, then that's an important note to have. Does that make sense? Second thing, and we'll just kind of go through these quickly, just get them on the table, is we'll go ahead and go to the next one there, Lisa. He's given it to us for a reason, so that we are unified, that we are unified. You've given me the glory, I've given them the glory, so they can be one as we are one. So the first thing to notice within this, and this is, uh, continues to be uh, a, not a hot button like it annoys me, but a hot button because it's my passion, is that this glory is given so that we can be one, which means Christianity is communal. It, it continues to go against the mindset, especially the modern mindset, that I can be a Christian but not have to go to church. Um, that, I want to say, is partially true. I don't know if I can even give it that. Um, you can accept Jesus, says forgiveness, okay? Because, again, if you're a Christian, it's because you move from chair one to chair two. I've accepted Jesus by acknowledging with my mouth he's the Son of God. Believe in my heart, he died and rose again. He's my leader, he's my forgiver, and I'm following him. He could be your forgiver, but you're not following Jesus if you're not in community. 
And again, we define church differently. It's not like if you don't go to church on Sundays, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're not experiencing Christian community and we're not in oneness with one another, there's a problem. That you can't follow Christ because Christ was communal. And you're not following him if you're not being communal within the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So, so the thing that stands out here is that we get the glory. So not that each one of you all can be one with God. We get the glory so that we can be one as they are one, which, by the way, is a very high bar of unification for us to be one together and with Christ and with God in a way that Christ and God are unified is a very high bar that we're constantly striving for. It's one of the reasons why I thrive on my relationships with my buddy pastors. It's one of the reasons why we work with the IMA. It's one of the reasons we do things within the community with Aspire Ministries and other church activities so that we, the, if nothing else, the, the community sees what the body of Christ is supposed to look like together. We don't do that stuff just for giggles or to make my job easier because other people have other responsibilities or whatever. It, it's because we are to be one, and the only way that we become one is because of his glory through us. It's the only way it works. only way it works. Okay, so like I said, I'm going to jump around because there's a few voices in here that, that keep kind of building on each other. Uh, this will be a hard one to find. Verse 1. 17, verse 1. <laughs> thank you, Jenny Haug. Nobody else cares, but thank you, Jenny Haug. It's an old joke, but I appreciate you liking it anyways. So after Jesus has been praying, because there's some other prayer that he has before this, it says in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken those words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Okay, so here's our example and the point from that. Glory comes from the Father, right? So we're going back to that. Glory comes from God. Glory comes from the Father. So we've got to repeat there, but the second part within that, Lisa's help here is the reason we get it is to glorify the Father. It's not so that Tom feels warm, fuzzy feelings all the time. It's not so that everything's all positive and, and you know, I'm singing songs as I'm walking down the street. If I would do that, by the way, smack me. There's something wrong with me. Get me checked out. I don't do that. But uh, Katie does that. Don't smack Katie if she's singing a song. I don't do that. Uh, but it is to glorify the Father. Still there? Because his partners with the next one, verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Verse 4 tells us, the way I glorify the Father is by doing his will. By moving in faith. By accomplishing the purpose that he has called me to. By taking up my cross daily. The glory comes to me, but it comes through me by being faithful and acting by faith. If that's how it works for Jesus, then I'm sure that's how it works for us. Verse 10. Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The next one then. Jesus was glorified in his disciples. And in turn, Jesus needs to be glorified in us by us acting in faith, by us following him. There's a whole system of, of this glory that is building as Jesus prays. Uh, Katie's up here talking about like the fellowship bubble type aspect of things. It's, a, it's, it's not so much a bubble here with the glory to keep people out, which is what the Israelites made the mistake of. 
it is a cycle of glory to expand to bring the kingdom of God into a full state. So Jesus was glorified in us. Okay, I mess with it. Let's go back to verse 5. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Lisa? Our reward is in his glory. Our reward is in his glory. So what Jesus is saying here is, I was in your fullness of your glory, which is overwhelming. Like if I'm trying to compare that to space, I was in the fullness of your glory, but I stepped off my throne. I stepped out of my position in heaven. I stepped out of my, quite frankly, protection away. He never experienced sin. He never experienced the crap that's down here. But I love you guys so much that I stepped out of the glory. And so now, Father, that I have been faithful to you, bring me back to that glory. Now so I can have that glory again in its fullness instead of from a distance. Our reward is his glory. As we start looking more and more into that aspect of last week where Jesus was looking at the joy beyond the cross, we're now getting to the joy beyond our cross, the joy, joy behind the areas we have. Then go over to verse 24. Verse 24, he says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. So the last one we'll give you is this. Jesus desires to see his glory. So how does he see his glory? The Father gives it to us. We live in faith. Let his glory go through us. We lead others to that glory as well. And Jesus smiles. As Andrew was saying, if it blesses who so much, can you imagine how it blesses the Lord? But do you notice that nothing we're talking about in glory has anything to do with music in the, the confines of the church? It is with our worship. And we do worship through music, but it's such a small element. Voice is how we worship in our life. Still with me? Are you expanding on all kind of your understanding, kind of like, okay, I, it seems like the glory is bigger than what I've kind of given credit for, what I've thrived for. That, if, to, to me, the, the glory of God was there and I'm here. Whereas I look at Jesus' appeal, I start realizing I'm actually part of, somehow, from this beautiful miracle that God does for us. Let me, let me give you this. Um, we'll go, go, go to Hebrews 2, if you would. Hebrews, two, uh, Hebrews itself has a lot of glory in Israel. And you don't have to keep uh, John. We're not going to go back to that. But the, this is just a continuation of the expansion of understanding the glory of God in our lives. And um, I want to say up front, there's a real good shot that this next thing I'm going to be talking about is going to confuse the crap out of you. Um, here's why. And, and it's, uh, it's my fault. I'm a big believer. Einstein had a quote, and I've been living by this quote in my preaching for a very long time, that if you can't explain something simply, it's because you don't understand it well enough yet. And I, I, I truly believe that that's the case. Whenever I'm working on a study or working on a sermon and I'm kind of going through it, it seems like this is kind of disjointed and this isn't real, almost 99% of the time it goes back to me getting deeper into it and going, oh, okay, I see how that connects here and here and here. I don't fully get what I'm about to tell you. Yeah, it's the first time I can say that just 100%. I really 
I don't fully understand this to teach it easily. Uh, matter of fact, when it first came up in my studies, uh, in my book from Dan, uh, I thought he was full of crap because uh, it didn't match up to what I've been carrying around for 54 years of my understanding of the scripture. It's not something I've ever really thought that much about, but just it, it seemed like friction. Uh, and then as I studied it more this week and I got into some other areas of the scripture, I think he's got something. And I think it's worth bringing it into the picture. But to say that I understand it well enough to explain it simply, I'm not making that promise in any way, shape, or form. If you thought I was chaos before, good luck with this one. But to me, as I'm exploring it more, it's, it's expanding my understanding of how God sees us in his glory. Um, let's start in verse 5. And this, this is not going to help because the author, and again, we don't know for sure who the author of Hebrews is. I believe it's Peter. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul, uh, from, from the writing style and the things that are said, but we don't know for sure. History has kind of taken that. that oh, that's the only author we don't know 100% sure of. But um, his writing style, he's, he's making a lot of points in a small area, so even he's confusing. Ah, just, just ride the wave. Let's see what happens. Verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, by the way, somewhere in Psalms. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone." Okay, so a lot in there. Here's the concept, and then I'm going to backtrack it a little bit. Um, debating what I want to hit first. Let's, let's go to the next one there, Lisa. The concept they put out that I thought was off-putting at first was from his perspective in Genesis 1 and 2, the order of those that were in existence uh, was God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, uh, man, creation, and the angels, which he had created before us. Again, they weren't, they're not like God. They're not always been. Uh, they didn't come out of anywhere. The angels are part of his creation as well before the time of man. Um, and from his perspective, that's the order of how they ranked in God's heart and God's authority and the way that God, God worked things. Uh, that's the part that I kind of struggled with. I've never thought about angels being... Um, somehow under us. I think a lot of times when we think of the Hallmark movie, Angels Against Big Lights, Big Show, Big Power, Big Booming Voices and whatnot, even though I do know that angels, including the scripture, are, are ministering uh, agents to us. That's one of the roles, worship and, and being and ministering to us are the two roles. But this is the perspective he put out. In Genesis 3, they all got jacked up because Satan came into the garden, and we know about the whole Adam and Eve thing, and we know about how sin messed everything up. Um, but from the perspective he was sharing is that the angels, namely Satan, took and made us slave to sin to knock us down off our pedestal. And even when as far as saying, and this, this was interesting to me, 
because it was always Lucifer. Again, the, the, the demons and Satan were angels, right? We knew that. And then Satan, uh, Lucifer got up on his high horse and took a third of the angels and went up against God, got kicked out of heaven. We knew that. That's now demons and Satan. We know that, right? But even that, not necessarily from his perspective, but from some theologians' standpoint, is that this was a big part of Satan's fall. That wasn't so much like, and I don't see scripturally, which just said Satan got too big for his britches. That's just kind of always what I assumed, right? That he's just like, is he good? But that it could, could very well be, since we're not, not in this, that because we were created and put above angels, that's where Lucifer, who was the, was the right-hand man, angel, that's where his jealousy started. That's where the fall happened, and that's when he went after us. To, to change that element of things. And then in the resurrection, this is where we'll have to get back into Hebrews 2, is when God, uh, through Jesus' fulfillment of the law, got things back in its right order. So from that perspective, we'll leave that up there, Lisa. That took me back to Hebrews 2, and I was looking at it again, as well as other scriptures. But I kind of see his point. Uh, verse 5, For it is not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, and when we look at Genesis 1 and we talk, look at Genesis 2, who did he give authority over all creation? Us. That was the original plan. And if angels are creation, that just seems, you, you know, it's like, huh, I hadn't really thought about that. And then he gets into this psalm, which is also kind of a messianic psalm. If I confuse the crap out of you yet, I hope so. Um, I want others to struggle with me on this. You get to the psalm, which is also a messianic scripture. In other words, part of it is talking about Jesus before Jesus came in the form of a man. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Whenever I read that, it's like, well, yeah, duh, I'm man and you're God. Why would you even care about me? Let alone, me. I mean, all mankind, I kind of get it, but me, I don't fully get that. And then I always go into verse 7, looking at it from there's a switch talking about us to talking about God. Oh, Jesus, you made Jesus for a little while lower than the angels. That makes sense to me. That's always made sense to me. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, that makes sense to me. Everything's sub subject to Jesus. So that I've always kind of just left it there. And if you look down here in the verse 9, it's very much talking about Jesus. The, 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 the author is giving us for a little while he was made Jesus, namely Jesus. So make sure that we know that in this context of this writer, he absolutely is talking about Jesus. But what if Jesus being raised up, raised us up to get things back in the right order for this now not yet kingdom that we see of God, which I'll explain here in a second. Um, for instance... Let's go to the next scripture, if we could, Lisa. It changes my understanding of Colossians 3.1 to not combat what I used to think, but kind of expand it. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the, see the things, or seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So his rising up rose us up as well. And he has given us his glory to the point that somehow within this order of things, because I know someday I'm, in, the, in the not yet aspect of this, we're going to rule over the earth with him. We're going to be seated with him. You know, I, I get all that. Um, but somehow we're raised up with him to the point that there's some kind of change now between the angels and us. Holy cow, that's, that's, 
big thinking. That, that's, that's majestic stuff. That, for, for, what am I that you're so mindful of me that you actually even move us forward over the angels as we raise to a proper position the way that you have raised us when we were raised with you. Not just I died to my sin and I came back up. Not just like a baptism metaphor, but that you raised us back up because you love us that much. And you want that glory of God system to be there is pretty overwhelming to me. Can't explain it fully. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to explain the glory of God fully. But do you start to dream a little bit more? Maybe desire a little bit more, see different ways they can move within this? Because if I can grow in it, then I can reproduce it. If I can mature in his glory, then I can lead others that are behind me as well. Chair one, chair two, chair three, wherever we're at. Um, I always thought that was kind of beautiful. So whether or not that's exactly how it works, I don't know. But it makes more sense to me than it did Wednesday. So I'll take that. I'll take that. Going back to the definition of glory. I'm going to add a couple of definitions into it. They're not from the dictionary, but the way that the scripture uses glory. Beyond what Webster gave us. It's not just high, renowned, honor, magnificence, great beauty, great pleasure. Um, a lot of times in the New Testament, throughout the scripture, glory is used to reveal the brightness of God's person. It's a very definition of who he is and his character. Uh, if I look at it from an Old Testament standpoint, uh, you remember who, was it Esau? Elijah, Elijah, one of these guys, wanted to see God. And God said, you can't handle it. Do you remember that? Like, no man can see me without blowing up. You just, you can't handle the fullness of my glory like that. I think you're cute. I think it's nice, whatever. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll take and let you see my back. Do you remember this? And so God shielded him up, walked by him, took his hand away. He looked and he got to see the back of God, and it just messed with his head. Because you could, you, we can't handle the fullness of his glory, the brightness of God's person. When we see uh, Moses meeting with God at the tent of meeting with the Israelites, that when they're traveling through, through the desert, uh, it's, it's, I think it's kind of funny, but also understandable because I'd be right there with them. Uh, people were freaked out by that tent because there was constantly light coming out of that tent door and there was no source of light in there outside the glory of God. They just couldn't handle it. Well, Moses was the only one that would go up to that tent. Only one permitted to go up to that tent because of the brightness of God's presence. Then when he come back from meeting with God, everybody was freaked out by him. Do you remember why? Anybody? Huh? Uh, I do remember his hair being white, but there, there's another thing within that too. His his face showed. The glory of God got, got, got on him and he was illuminating light from his face and people were like, that ain't right. Right? But that's how we're supposed to be living. That's what his glory is. Uh, I mean, I grew up, okay, and I know you guys, most of you guys did too, right? Hiding under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I think that's a really fun song because I think that's about how much our mind really kind of handles it. Because I, I can kind of, okay, this is my Jesus and this is my light, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it shine into this world. This is 
so restrictive to the glory of God. So it's like if you're in a dark room and you're like, I'm going to shine, let's shine, let's shine, let's shine. And someone took his big mother's spotlight from one of those high school productions and put it five feet in front of you and just cranked it on and blinded you. And you're like, forget about that. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. That's what we need. I, I don't know if anybody's seen this. I've, I've been getting Facebook ads about a, 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 a flashlight. Have you, ever, have you seen this? It's from Germany or something. And they're like doing like no more and then they click a button and it like illuminates the whole building and whatnot. And there's some guy that's like get, breaking into a car and he's like, what? Boom, glory of God. There's, the, what's that? That's right, that's right. Oh yeah, man. So, chair two. Chair two. Chair three. Uh, no, but go back if you would, Lisa. The last one is on there too. Uh, glory also means heaviness or weight. The glory of God also means heaviness or weight. It's not a burden that we carry, but it's something that's so strong, so massive, so overwhelming that it can only be God. The glory of God. If you think about the heaviness or the weight of looking at space, looking at the night sky, as true here. It is like, and I'm going to give this one for Kevin. Kevin, you with me? You ready? Talking about heaviness of weight. This is the heaviness of weight of God versus what we're used to. It's like Andre the Giant. Wrestling metaphor for you, baby. I thought about this all week. I'm like, I'm going to bless Kevin with a wrestling metaphor. It's like Andre the Giant showing up at a peewee wrestling match. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of the... And he blesses us with it. And he turns it into our life and he reveals it to us. And then we reveal it into the world. I've shared this before and I'll wrap up with this because I won't be able to have communion with you guys because if we're to be unified like Christ and God are, what a more beautiful way of doing that through our communion. Uh, but I, I have a little bit of a different view of what my best guess is that heaven is. And those things that the, the scripture gives us, it tells us the best that mankind can explain it. Uh, but that, then there's outside theories that a lot of us hold dear because we were raised with them and stuff that may or may not be biblical. Uh, but this is, this is my best guess. Um, when I get to heaven and I see God face to face for the whole time and I see his glory for the first time, that the only option you have is just to fall on your knees and, and just worship. Just, oh my gosh, I never even imagined what this would be and just worship and worship. And then God be blessed by that worship so much he says, you think that's cool? I'm going to reveal a little bit more of myself. Holy cow, you got to be kidding me. You are so awesome. So just worshiping again and again, he's blessed. He goes, oh yeah, well check this out. For eternity. For eternity. I very much think that might be a little bit of what heaven's like. And the best part is we get to reveal it and share it now. Limited. We're going to reveal it and share it now. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. 
Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.